0: Welcome to the Logan Bartlett Show. On this episode, what you're going to hear is a conversation I have with Eric Vishria. Eric is a general partner at Benchmark, where we've been fortunate enough to share two investments together over the years. Eric and I both got into venture in 2014 and both focus on enterprise software. And so we have a discussion about how he views investments and what he looks for in founders as well as companies, which... It's vastly different than the way I think about the world. And so a uh, fun conversation kind of going back and forth on his model versus mine, as well as Eric's background, having grown up in Memphis and graduating Stanford at 19 years old before joining Loud Cloud, which became Opsware, with Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen. A really fun conversation with one of the more thoughtful investors in venture capital that I've really enjoyed getting to know over the last couple of years. You'll hear that conversation with Eric here now. All right, Eric, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Right above your office. We've never recorded here in our uh, Woodside office. Oh, is that? Well, I appreciate you coming down to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you and I are both venture capitalists. I think we got into the industry around the same time. When did you start at Benchmark? 2014. 2014, okay. That was 2014 as well. We invest broadly in similar stuff. We have two shared investments, at amplitude and acuity. I think they would be remiss if we didn't shout it out. But I think how we think about things is vastly different. And I've enjoyed picking your brain. Part of that's probably a function of stage. You're earlier, sure. uh, definitely a little later, but I always enjoy asking like how you think about things. And so one of the, I guess just to start with, what, what are you looking for when you're taking meetings with entrepreneurs or, or meeting with businesses? That's the
1: right question. Yeah, I don't know if
0: I have the right answer. You told me a couple months ago that like within the first five minutes, you met a CEO and you were like, we're going to, I'm going to make this investment. That happens to me a lot. Yeah, so, so I don't really know what that, you know, yeah, I, that happens to me a lot. Um, I I would say that like,
1: if I look at the investments that I've made over the course of my time at Benchmark over the last nine years or nine and a half years, I think all of them actually have that element where (laughs) it was like you had this feeling very, very quickly that this is the kind of person you want to work with, that it's an idea um, that is really special um, and it could be something big. I think those are all those are characteristics those are the three things that I would like say. And and I think part of what manifests for me is when the entrepreneur makes you see the world differently. Like they say something typically very early on that like you haven't heard before, you haven't read about before, like no one else has articulated. Like it's just a unique View of the market. You're like, huh? That's plausible. And then they go on to explain the intricacies of it, and you're like, wait a minute, maybe there's something there. Hmm. Um, you know. And then the question becomes like, well, okay, let's say everything they said was true. Like, if it worked, could it be a big, valuable business? That's that's like a very, very important question. You know. And then like, do they have an angle of attack on the market? Not just the insight, but also an angle that is defensible and not replicable and blah, blah, blah. And so like, I, I think those are kind of the things that they put out there, which is like, it is unique. It relates to this whole, do venture capitalists have a thesis or not, actually, is a, is a very interesting question. You're preempting some of my questions. Because so, oh,
0: okay. you, you are a non-thesis Yeah, guy. non-thesis. And, and, but, I, but I think part of it, the, the, what I realized
1: on it, and maybe a better articulation of saying, whether it's thesis or not thesis I makes mean, false categories it's like who comes up with the thesis and it's it's i think it's m- my view that entrepreneurs have the thesis it's our job to assess whether we believe the thesis or not hmm. right and so like they have the thesis and and because if we have the thesis then like a lot of people have it if an investor has it then like a lot of people have it and um And if a lot of people have it, like that probably is not gonna be that big an outcome. Like it's just, you know, that's the things. No, I think like, to be fair, you know, one of the things that's weird about our business in venture capital is there's a lot of models of success. There's not one model, there's not one path, there's many paths. And there are probably venture capitalists out there who are smart enough to have a thesis and be futurists and like see the world and see where it's going and everything else. I'm not one of those people. And so I love it when I'm like sitting in a meeting and someone's like, wait a minute, like this is how this is going to go. And everybody thinks this, but it's really going to be this way. And you're like, huh. And it makes you think. And then you're like, well, one, I've never heard that before. Two, like it's cogent. Right and three, if that happens, it could actually be really, really big, and then they have a path to kind of get there, and then that gets then that gets you really excited and and so I think that that tends to happen to me um, on the investments you know, that I've left.
0: You mentioned person, idea, and big was what I took down, and so I, I wanted to construct each of those. But so on the person side, obviously there's the articulation, there's the viewpoint, the thesis that the person's yeah. able to articulate. Um, And then you mentioned cogent, so that's also kind of tying into that. But are there characteristics of, I mean, you've backed very young people. I don't know, how how old was Saji when you invested? 23, 24?
1: Yeah, something like that,
0: young. You have backed older people, you have backed experienced people. So there's not one heuristic across that type. But is there a personality characteristic or? They're all learners.
1: Hmm. They just learn. And so like, I just, one of my big conclusions is it just doesn't matter where you start. The only thing that matters is the slope. And so you have these people who are just like, they're just learning. And you're like, you know what? Like our business is long-term, right? We're gonna work on these companies. I've been working on Confluent and working with Amplitude and Confluent teams for 10 years now, almost 10 years, nine and a half years since I got there. And it's a long, long time. So you have a lot of time for that for that rate of learning to compound. And you know, you have to have luck and you have to have the right market and like all those other things have to line up. But if someone's learning at those rates, you're just like, wow. I had this, uh, the the my first meeting with Saji at Benchling, It it felt like he hooked a hose up to my head and just like sucked out everything he could. Mm. Um and now that's that's the only real Series B that I've done, um that I've led for us and I knew nothing about the market. It's it's vertical SaaS for biotech, so I knew nothing about the market. You know, vertical SaaS is very in vogue now. You and I are <laughs> yeah. one together other, but uh-huh. but it, it, at the time it wasn't like nobody thought of it. It was just like yeah, it's kind of whatever. And then so it, it was kind of vertical SaaS in a market I didn't really understand and like everything else, but I think two things occurred to me in that meeting. One is like, wow, that is a special individual. Um, and then two, it's a SaaS business. Like I I, I kind of know SaaS a little bit, so like I can kind of work with it. So like I, that, those were like kind of two takeaways. And then the second meeting, um, I met his co-founder, Afu, and we met together at their office, the three of us. And I had some questions and everything else. And I was like, "Hey, they, they made the claim that they had never seen a customer churn." You know, at the time, it had fifty or sixty customers, which is pretty unusual. Like, you know, we look at SaaS companies all the time to get to fifty or sixty and never have a churn. Like, yeah. is very rare, very, very rare. And so you're like, "Huh, that's interesting. Like, that's worth it." And so I was like, "I want to go through every customer." So they pulled up a spreadsheet because it wasn't the, no CRM at the time. And I remember very distinctly, the floor was sloped in the office. So you like had to hold on to the table so that your chair wouldn't drift, which is also a good sign that they had shitty office. And we just like went line by line through the spreadsheet. And like one or the other of them would talk about every account and what was happening at every account. And then, you know, we would ask, I would ask questions about different things and they ask questions back to me. And we're like, why are you asking that question? Why are you? And, and then I realized, I was like, shit, there's not one of them. There's two of them. There are two of them at the company who are like this, um, so that was uh, that was that was pretty special. But and you can't bullshit are, that level of like understanding, bullshit. like when you're in that talk- level of curiosity, and you just can't. And you know, we work with Spencer uh, at Amplitude and uh, Mike at Acuity, and and obviously Jay at Confluent, and and a whole bunch of, and they're all like that. Hmm. all all the ones I work with are like that.
0: Do you have like a single? Thing that to figure out that learning slope, uh, or is it just a feeling when you sort of drill in and the questions they feeling. ask? I think it's a feeling. I think a lot of entrepreneurs are trained to sell, and like we
1: all have to sell. Like at the end of the day, you and I are glorified salespeople. Yeah, and... we have a fucking podcasts. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, exactly. And so, like, we're all selling all the time, and, and like a CEO has to sell a lot. Like, that's part of their job, it's a huge part of their job, whether it's to investors or customers. Our employees, and um, as part of that process in, in a fundraise, you want to feel like they're uh, engaging authentically, like they're they're selling, but they're also listening, like they're they're hearing, they're engaging, um, and and maybe a good, a good way to say that, uh, which which my partner Sarah uses, it, is like they're truth seeking. Like they're seeking truth, like they're trying to get to fundamental ground of like what is it and what the right way to build a company is. And the reality is, if you message entrepreneurs, just like none of us are investing in your idea, your million in ARR, your three million in ARR. Like, you know, sometimes you get these decks and it's like a company's at a million ARR and they're showing their NRR and all these metrics. And you're like, who cares? Maybe. Like, yeah. maybe. Like, none of that is extract- extrapolatable. Uh, Or most of the time, it isn't extrapolatable. And so you're you're investing in what could be and what the potential could be. And the reality is, because the future is unknown, you are going to encounter, as an entrepreneur and as someone who's building and leading a company, you're going to encounter all kinds of things that you can't imagine, you can't foresee. And so what you're really betting on is someone's ability to navigate that obstacle course and those unknown obstacles in the future. Mm. And so I think that's why it, it like it shows up. And you can and I think you can tell through the interactions. A lot of times you can tell. It's not perfect, but I think you can tell a lot of times in the interactions just like how they think about things and are they are they truth seeking in that way and are they trying to like learning it better.
0: Are there any commonalities in investments that you haven't done? That you oh, wished yeah. you would have
1: Um Yeah, actually. I think uh the, the mistake is underestimating the trend because you have questions about the person. Mm-hmm. Got it. So the so, trend just overwhelmed. Yeah. It just worked at, at, yeah. by itself. And yeah. then you know maybe the person underest- you underestimated the person too, but like
0: it that's a hard one because ultimately, especially when you're investing, you don't know the other companies that are to come down that Dummy. are identified the same trend. You and know. so we were a battery room investor in Blue jeans, and then Zoom came in or Envision and then Figma came in. Right. And there's these trends that are very true. And if you look, you can get false precision about like, oh, well, it's the best totally. company out there. Right, um, which is true. Both those companies were the best companies until they weren't. Until right? they weren't, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it's just like
1: one of these dynamics where, you know, like I, we saw the snowflake Series C, right, which was this, I think it was a Series C.
0: The altimeter right. round. Well, yeah, I think it's altimeter yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, everyone yeah. saw that round. No one wanted to do it. No one wanted to do it, right? Yeah. It was like 2 million an yeah. yeah. or something. For like, like small the, customers. Small, small and customers customers yeah. Burning stuff. a lot. And I was like, okay, so the, the bet is like they're going to out... AWS on AWS. It's so funny. That was the exact thing I said internally at Battery. I was like, come on, they're going to, this is AWS. And this was AWS at its, like, peat, peak pound, and, uh, you know, it's like, oops. Like,
1: yeah. That, that, that really, uh, that was a bad, bad read, Yeah, um, you know, on it and, and maybe, not understanding or believing enough the technological advantage or whatever else um, that ended up being very real and durable.
0: I don't think I've said this here uh, before, but one of the analogies I've started to use more and more is like the best CEOs see a, a flame and they're like, that looks hot. And then they see a stove and they're like, that looks hot. And then they see a bonfire and they're like, that looks hot. And they, Ask for help before they touch any of them. Now, the very good CEOs touch the flame and they're like, oh, gosh, that was fucking hot. And then they see the bonfire and they're like, that reminds me of that stone there, that flame thing. And it's like, that's very good. The best ones like notice that there's smoke emanating from it and touching it probably isn't a good thing. But it is nice when there's that iterative learning loop. uh, So my
1: encapsulation of that very same idea, which I said is like, the best CEOs are making all new mistakes. Mm. Yeah. You're always making mistakes. Totally. Oh, of course. But they're all new. That's funny.
0: As you think about something being big, there's kind of the motes and the defensibility. There's the, the size of the market as what it could be versus the rate of growth versus what it is today. How do you sort of think about uh, what the big element of it is? I think there's a lot of different
1: ways, and, and this is one that we can get wrong, and because like a, a lot of companies that start out niche end up being really, really big.
0: That was but, a knock on Benchling. Right?
1: Yeah, it's you a know, knock on right? Benchling, and and like in, in a lot of the vertical companies, um, but it's a not. It's been a knock on a, on a bunch of things. Totally, like it, it was a knock on Shopify really early, and which it was is a like, knock on Viva. Yeah, and exactly. And so like, there's so many where it's just like, well, okay, so like, what is what is big mean? And, and, and actually, what just one other point about this is like it, it you actually want to be kind of tight to start because like then you have a chance to like dominate and build value and get the word out and so forth. You know, the big thing that I kind of think about is, is there something changing in the world that the company has nothing to do with, but such that th- the future state of the world would yield a bigger outcome for that company, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. It, not, that's, that's poorly articulated. So let me try it in a different way, which is, I, I use this, this analogy sometimes, which is there's, there's the boat. So every entrepreneur comes in and they pitch their boat and they're like, hey, we have a, a better hull design and we have a better rigging system and we have a, a better crew and, and like so forth, new materials, whatever it is. Um, and the most important thing isn't actually the boat, it's the wind. Um now the boat designer has nothing to do with the wind. The wind is a wind. Um, at least at first. But in a strong wind, like even the shittiest dinghy will fly. Mm. And if there's no wind, an America's Cup boat is gonna sit there. And so like the wind is like what is changing in the world or in the market that is enabling this new thing to be and can allow it a chance to exist. And so I think that is like a really important question of like what you know what can be big and so I think if you kind of go back um and you kind of like take a look at a shopify or you look at something like that it's just like well like is e commerce going to be enormous and like is that going to be the way of the future then you can you might you might come to a different conclusion than you would have initially
0: right? hmm. what's your perspective on artificial intelligence right now um i, I look i I think it's a
1: it's an incredibly important technology. Um, I think that the, how it is gonna impact things and you know what benefit is gonna go to incumbents versus not, like all these are all things that are out there. Like, what's my original thought on it? I don't know. I don't think I have an original thought on it, um, on where it's gonna go um, or, or what it could be. Um, but I do have conviction that there's a lot of value to be built. Um,
0: kind like of like a GDP.
1: Layer uh, at a GDP layer. Yeah, at yeah, a that. GDP at yeah. a GDP layer, and you know, figuring out like where it's going to go and how it's going to be um, attributed is really hard. I think, you know, my partner Sarah had had this uh, post about like basically you can sell the work now. Like you know, we used to sell software. Now you can sell the work. Like mm-hmm. you can sell the work that the AI is doing, um, which is potentially a much much larger market. Like the output. The output, yeah, exactly. Like one of the the, the recent investments um, that we've led, which is, is not yet announced, but it's basically they're like, yeah, everyone's going after these like software tools dollars, but like the labor dollars are ten times that that are being um, that are being spent there, and like that's what the AI can do, hmm. and that's such like a very powerful idea, and um, and very expanding in terms of what it could be
0: you guys haven't done any like model layer uh, any foundational model yeah we foundation done any model which is a little different I mean the funding and the the structure is a little different than I think you guys are typically playing no, we typically do yeah yeah
1: thanks to what we've inherited and um, and the success of the founders and prior partners and everything else we have a lot of flexibility in terms of what we can do um, and so we try not to be religious about, you know, hey, it's a, like people will ask you, what check size are you in? Or sometimes entrepreneurs ask you, I'm sure they ask me, like, where are you in your fund cycle? And yeah, I'm yeah. like, don't worry about that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not like an important question. Um,
0: if any entrepreneur wants to know, I think they're fairly evergreen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know you've right, different fund structures, fun. but I like think like your LPs yeah. are and then we're,
1: we're gonna be fine. And so we try not to be constrained about that. So I think if, if there's an opportunity, um, you know that we really believe in. We'll do something weird. Like we're not we're not unwilling to do that. Um, but the core of the model is partnering with early stage companies in a high engagement way, and you know which is typically less than ten people. It's often no no revenue. You know sometimes a million or two. Like it's, and that's what we're partnering with. And we're partnering with them um, on a journey that hopefully lasts a really long time.
0: Hmm. Do you have any views? You said said no no specific insights on the artificial intelligence, uh, but there's it's hard not to sort of think about the implications of it for software, where we both spend a fair amount of time and yeah. the dislocation that could occur. I, I think probably the vast majority goes to some of the incumbents, much in the same way, mobile Salesforce was Salesforce, right? Yeah, <laughs> so like, sure, sure. Probably, you know, AI Salesforce is probably Salesforce. I don't know, no. but like maybe not. Maybe Salesforce trips no. up in some yeah. edu- execution. Anything that you're thinking about uh, with regard to new attack vectors or dislocation or opportunity sets that the outcome one is interesting or the output one. But, yeah, I think, I think,
1: you know, if I kind of say there's, call it three categories of stuff right now. So there's the foundational model stuff, which is, I think, um, it's very expensive. It's very quickly depreciating. Um, it's, it's maybe the fastest depreciating thing in human history, and um, so like that's the foundational models game. But obviously, if you have one and it ends up being really defensible, you're in a very powerful position. Um, you know, we can argue about whether it will be defensible or not. You know, it doesn't doesn't matter. But they, seem, it.
0: they seem to get commoditized very quickly. They get right?
1: commoditized very quickly. That's what I mean by the fastest yeah. depreciating oh, thing okay. in human yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. Like just it's just like. You spend you know two hundred fifty million dollars building one, and six months later people build them for two and a half million like that's just like we have never seen that crazy ever, yeah, like buying a Bentley is a better investment, yeah, um, and like driving off a lot, yeah um and so you know two, you have there's a lot of like m l infrastructure yeah like kind of companies and um you know that are basically make it easier to manage the stuff, make it easier, whatever. And, you know, there's been fits and starts in that area. Um, and there have been things that are working and not working there. Um, I think, you know, there's the question on those is really like, hey, how much of it do the cloud providers take? How much of it do, is there room for an individual uh, new provider? You know, are you just like bundling and unbundling maybe, but maybe that's all business. So, you know, that's kind of that piece. And the third one is this vertical stuff, which is like, okay, it's like an application like we're going after it um, and and you're kind of delivering and value to the customers. And I think that's where we've seen tremendous revenue traction, right? Like all of these companies, um, like if you look at the Jaspers of the world and um, you know copy AI and and writer and uh, you know th- those types of companies have just even up like they've had tremendous revenue traction, like amazing. And um, they've grown. And I think the question for them is just like, well, what's defensible? Like there's also, they've had many, many copycats also and um, and the wrappers and thin. And so like each one of these areas has a different set of questions yeah. um, that you have to kind of have a point of view or, or conviction on. Um, and, you know, it's been, it's
0: been interesting for us to kind of go through that. Um, those are kind of the B2B ones. The ones that I don't even know how to think about are the the net new sort of weird AI stuff sure and the character AI oh, yeah, or the sure. journeys or the runways or the ones that are just like this is different it's more consumer prosumer sure. or whatever but like I don't even that's the one where you could end up being really wrong to not participate in them yeah right absolutely. Uh, some of those other ones like we know what the foundation model I don't know but the the infrastructure tooling stuff we sort of know what those businesses look like yes, and, we, do. we know what Mongo looks like and confluent looks sure. like and and we sort of know what vertical software companies look like, right? These other ones, people talking to bots uh, all day. I, I don't, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, we, we, we have no idea. Yeah. You know, what, what do you do? You keep looking at them
0: um, and try to see what you believe. Where does price fit? You guys are almost entirely series A, some series B with some exceptions, I guess. But uh, how does price fit into that? Like price of the company? Yeah, like valuation you're willing to pay versus mm-hmm. not. It's funny. It, it matters, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, totally. Right? I mean, everything totally. you just said would lead me to be like, ah, I mean, if we want to do it, we'll do it. I, 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 I yeah. think
1: that's the, the reality. There's there's a problem on it, which is price isn't the right indicator of it. So, like, price doesn't matter. Ownership matters, and I, like, you know, we're kind of traditionalist, and you could poo poo us for being traditionalist in that way, um, but but we're traditionalist in that sense, and and the reason is is because of the level of engagement, right? We work on boards for a decade plus, that means that you're kind of constrained by the number of opportunities you can have that you can work on. Um, and, and we're high engagement with those CEOs like today, before this, what it's one o'clock in the afternoon, one 30, I've talked to four CEOs that I work with today. So like, if you're in that kind of place and you're having that level of engagement with people, um, then you time constrained. And so you just have to get return on that in order for our business model to work. And so our business model is kind of dependent on ownership in that way. You know, Peter said this to me like very early on, um, right after I joined and I was like looking at a company and I was like, oh, well, maybe I would do it here, but I wouldn't do it here. And he was like, that's like sloppy venture capital thinking, like stop um, at the round. He was like, look, either like you think it can be like a multi-billion dollar company and you believe that or you don't. And if you do, it doesn't matter. And if you don't, it doesn't matter. Mm. And so like, it kind of doesn't matter. Mm. Um, and so like, there's an element of that, which is true. But of course, like the complexity is, you do have to believe you can generate enough return on it, you know, to, to make the business model work mm. and the opportunity cost justified basically.
0: And so then when you're thinking about that, is there an underwriting, like, are you thinking, hey, can this position be worth a billion dollars when you dream the dream, or is it, is there anything, or, or is it just a gut feeling? You no,
1: know, I, um, every, every I would say every one of us, the is probably a little bit different in this regard in terms of how we think about it. People say things like we underwrite it to a certain return or we construct this probability curve or like whatever. I don't do any of that. I mean, I think the reality is like, you know, if it's successful, it's going to be successful beyond our wildest dreams. Yeah. And like, so it just doesn't matter. And I want to be part of companies... And I think we want to work with companies, and we aspire to work with companies that have that, that have that. Like you could have never imagined. Yeah. Um, and you know they won't all be that way, and like not everything works, and like, and and that's okay. Like I'm fine. I'm fine with trying and it not working. Like yeah. it sucks, but like I'm fine with that. Hmm. Um, but you want them to have that kind of special feeling where it's like it could be you know, enormous and any probability curve I construct is just
0: BS. So you've had a, a fairly serendipitous run in 10 years. Your first investment was Confluent, which is now a, whatever, five, six, eight, ten, 10, whatever the given the day. Whatever it is today. Yeah. yeah. A billion dollar valuation. Uh, we talked about Amplitude, a public company. So your first two were public, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, also Benchling, we mentioned uh, Contentful's doing quite well, kind of your first cohort of businesses. Cerebrus, we talked about AquatiMD, a bunch of uh, interesting companies along the way. How much of, of this success do you think was guided by the the structure of Benchmark and some of the mentorship you got from Peter and uh, Gurley and whoever whoever else in the early days of you joining? Up, um, versus your own kind of instincts on some of these, some of these things.
1: I think a tremendous amount was just the, the structure and the model. And a tremendous amount was just luck, like right time, right place, like you know, it turns out it was like good to be an enterprise SaaS in, investor, infrastructure investor. You've gotten luckier more than most. So I'll mean, say, yeah. Joining in 2014, it's
0: like yeah, it's pretty helpful. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. You nice multiple and, appreciations and all that. Yeah. What would you attribute to Bill? Like a learning from Bill that was helpful versus Peter? Maybe they're very different. You no, know, they're,
1: they're very different. Um they're, they're all very different. And Mitch and Matt were all all like those were the four. Was that was the four. Those were I yeah. joined. Was was. You know Mitch, who you know had Riot and Snap and Discord, um, and 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 many others as as his um, big companies, and then you know Matt Kohler, who's had a just an unbelievable track record both as an operator or not, and then and Peter and Bill, each of them is actually like different in in terms of like what they they view, and I you know if you kind of and it just goes to this whole idea that. Um, there's no one model of success in venture capital, right? Um, you know, Bill thinks a lot about like markets and value, where value is going to be attributed, how it could trade, you know, if it, if it were to grow up, it, he thinks a lot about like what the future state of the world is. He does think, he does think more about theses, like, like what's the thesis for this, um, ahead of time. And, you know, I think that's, that's been talked about a lot. So like he, he thinks forward a lot and kind of tries to imagine future states and like, and then goes and looks for all the companies in the category and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think Peter's more founder driven and like he's more oriented around is who's the individual and um, what makes that person tick and you know. and so forth. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I think Matt is very trend driven um, in in terms of how he is. and um, Mitch. Mitch and Matt, but Mitch in particular has an artistic, uh, view of things that is impossible to replicate. Like you just can't, it's like taste, you know, which is like impossible to describe and, um, and everything else. But in some ways that's really unfair to all of them because they're all, they're all extraordinary. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not that Peter doesn't think about markets because he obviously does. Not like Bill doesn't think about people; he obviously does, and like and so forth. So it's kind of like that's
0: where the spike. May, that's where the
1: spike is. Maybe is a way to think about it, or where they kind of uh, retreat in terms of their, their consideration.
0: Hey guys, I'm Jacob Efron, a partner of Logans at Redpoint. Wanted to take a quick break from the episode to let you know that RedPoint AI podcast, Unsupervised Learning, now has its own YouTube channel. We have an incredible set of guests really at the forefront of the AI revolution. So if you're interested in what's happening in AI, what it means for businesses in the world, definitely subscribe. Now back to the show.
1: One of the the beauties of the model is like you, you know, for, for a few years, it was five of us. And so, and like all four of them are obviously incredibly accomplished. And so you're sitting in there and, and you're looking at every company and I would just, I would go to lots and lots of meetings with them, like initial pitches, you'll, we'll have two or three partners in initial pitches all the time. And, and you're like looking at it and you're seeing what questions they ask and you're like learning what they learn and, 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 and you're kind of trying to debrief from them afterwards, like quickly, um, in that. And like it's just you're just absorbing as much as you possibly can in terms of how do you evaluate these things and and everything else, and some of it does actually like sector actually does matter and it impacts these things right. One of the reasons like yeah, software companies, SaaS companies, they kind of at the end of the day, at some level of scale, they all kind of look the same, right? Right, in terms of like what their P and Ls look like and everything else, and so. To some extent, like Peter doesn't have to think about how as much about like how they would trade or what it would be worth because of like yeah it's a software company and like and so like that piece is is there and, and obviously I'm talking about his enterprise portfolio not his not the Twitters and Yelps and yeah, amazing uh, consumer sure. successes he had. and then you know to some extent for Bill like but if you think about like marketplaces and other things they actually trade radically differently sure and they like can be valued very very differently basically so he does have to think about some of those elements. Um, as you're, as you're kind of going through it. And so it does matter, like um, in those cases. The way our process works, to the extent we have a process, is like you know, you haven't meet someone and you get excited about it, and then you pass the ball. Like I, you, know, you, you, you get another partner to engage on it to take a look while you're going off and doing your work and diligence on the idea and opportunity and so forth. And you're spending time with the entrepreneur, but you're having your other partners look at it and raise questions. And you want them to raise questions and like, ask questions and push back on you um, and, um, and get excited and, and, like, and so forth. And so it's an advocacy model. Um, and then ultimately, you know, as, as most venture capital firms, you, you get them in front of everybody. And then we like look at it. And, and then when you get feedback, you're kind of calibrating on this. And, and there's like lots of really good examples of, of this for me. The Cerebrus one really stands out. Because I think it, it was, and who knows what will happen with the company, right? It's, it, it's, There've been periods of time where it was like, holy shit. And then there are periods of time where it's like, holy shit. And so I, I don't know, but it, it's been a really fun one for me to work on. But I think the story of how we came to invest most typifies the benchmark approach. And, um, and I think it's one of the reasons that a whole bunch of other firms wouldn't have done it. Um, so I meet Andrew on a Wednesday and I'm walking into the meeting. I tell my assistant, I'm like, why the fuck did I take this meeting? Like I'm looking at a hardware company. This is 2016. Okay. This is before NVIDIA ran. It's before Google launched the Tensor, uh, Tensor Processing Unit, the TPU. It's before
0: any of it. So it's just like Oh, we we looked at this round, uh, a oh, battery. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I think you might be I forget where it ended up landing, but I remember everyone being like, hang on. We have this software thing going on, and we want to go to a chip. Yeah, this, 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 there's you know, a lot start. of people that like, got fired trying to do yeah, this. Chip yeah, yeah, a lot of
1: people like it, right? Yeah. And so I go into the meeting, and I'm like, "Why? Why did I take this meeting?" Right? And I didn't know Andrew did before or the team. And so slide one's cover. Slide slide two is the team. And I was like, "Wow, that's a really credible team. Like they built they built semiconductors, they built systems, um, they've done them at startups, which actually turns out to matter a lot and um, and, and really successful." And then slide three is, is the GPU sucks for deep learning. It just happens to be 100 times better than the CPU. And it was one of those like, yeah, fucking of course. Like, but to, to the whole insight point that we were talking about earlier, it was just like, an in, like nobody said that before. Like Nobody had said that before that I heard at that point in time. You know, and then he goes on, and then the details matter. He goes on to articulate, like, well, why? Like, well, this is why it's better than a CPU, but this is why it's less suboptimal. Like, and he had, like, four or five things that that were, like, very specific. Like, you start to get very specific. And he's like, so what we propose to do is, like, build something that is, like, that is for deep learning. And and then, like, the rest of the deck didn't understand. Didn't understand. Like, I probably got to slide four before I had no competency on it. So I come out of the meeting and I was like, wow, this is like really interesting. It's a really interesting idea. It's a really credible team. And like, if it worked, it could be like really big. And so I go out and I talked to, um, talk to Mitch and Bill, I think about it. And, um, and they're like, yeah, you just like it. And, and, and Bill, Bill gave me the really good advice. He, he was like, hey, we need the founders for this. We need the founders for this one. Benchmark, founder. the benchmark founders. Benchmark founders. Yeah, we need because none of, none of the group had done hardware. Yeah. Like we had no idea. So I called Bruce um, and Bruce joined us. And so we met again on Thursday with, I don't know who all, Mitch, Bruce, Bill, me, whoever else. And he goes through it. And I'm, I remember debriefing with Bruce afterwards, right? And he's like, look, he's like, as far as teams go and like the approach, Totally makes sense. He's like, but there's no market for this. And I was like, well, the one thing that I have a lot of confidence in is there's a market for yeah, this. Deep learning. Like deep learning. There will be a market for this, right? And so this, and, and you know, and we kind of continued on and, and so forth. And, and Peter in the end actually like really, I, I think I, I wanted to do it. I had the hardware concern and Peter really encouraged me um after actually spending the night before before he met it trying to talk me out of it. <laughs> um, but after they pitched, he you know, and I think he'd say, like, our job is to help enhance each other's instincts and your instinct was to go do it. So So but but I think the, my, my point on it was you know, it was a, a whole bunch of people coming together with different views of the market and it was the collective whole that gave us the conviction to yeah. to invest.
0: How do you think you've changed most as an investor since you joined Benchmark? I, I know you had, I've read, I don't know where this was from, but after your first year, you said, I've seen about 180 companies. The first few weeks, I was like, oh my God, these are all Everyone, all. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so clearly not that anymore. But yeah. if you look back to 2014 versus now, what do you think? Lots of changes. I, I'd say I project forward a lot more. Like I think about the
1: possibilities of what each company could be not next year or the year after but i i try to project forward three or five or seven years like um much much more than i did um before and try to think about like what those possibilities are which both closes me off from some opportunities that i probably would have um previously pursued and opens me up for new possibilities um that i didn't so it's kind of both good and bad maybe um in terms of what i'm like looking for I have a. I, I really, even more than before, prioritize and think about like the learning aspect of the entrepreneur. It's not. I think I. It took me a while to figure out that that's what I gravitate towards. Like that is the characteristic that I gravitate towards. Um, you had a feeling initially, but it wasn't yeah. articulated. Now it turns out it matters, and, and part of the reason is because if you then project forward a bunch of years, you're like. What like there's all going to be a bazillion challenges, and you need someone who is going to be able to navigate them. Um, and so like that, that's also been a big, big change.
0: Do you think being a founder uh, and an executive at a you know big sized uh, business benefits you more as an investor or a board member? Um, definitely as a board member. Yeah.
1: Not 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 as
0: an investor. Yeah.
1: The, the career investors are all better. Like they <laughs> they're better.
0: How do you think the rock-melt experience did benefit you as an investor?
1: I mean, I think I really learned the value and power of storytelling and um, and narrative in that, you know, and just like what the the pieces are. And I I think I also actually learned a lot about the fleet, you know, how ephemeral success can be because with rock-melt, like we came out of the gate so hot and it was just like the list and it, we like flew to a hundred thousand daily actives which at that time was like a pretty good sized number in like six weeks from launch like it was it was like insane what year is this um this would have been 2010 yeah um and it was like zero to hundred thousand like six weeks, daily actives with insane engagement you know and then we got stuck and we really got stuck at like 200, 250,000 DAUs, and it just got stuck, like stuck in the mud, like couldn't go anywhere on it. And it just, it all happened so fast, like the 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 both the success of it and the failure of it. Yeah. Um. So that that's what I would say is.
0: What about? Um, I mean, the fleeting of success could apply to being a founder as well. But having gone through the journey of being a founder, do you do you? Do you think at point of investment about anything from that experience? Not normally. I mean I, th- I think you're empathetic towards
1: the founder journey yeah. and you're just like you just, like I empathize like I understand how hard it is. Yeah. I understand like I understand the improbability of it. I also understand there's a whole bunch of stuff that's in your control and there's a whole bunch of stuff that isn't in your control. And so I think that you know I think there's this like we tend to portray we as in the collective we portray the successes as like based on that individual, and the failures based on that individual or that team. Um, but I, I'm much more fluid in my like view of it. I understand? Um, you know, I think a lot of the the failed companies have remarkably fabulous people who had a totally reasonable thesis, and you know, it, these are all whatever fifty-one forty-nine probabilities of any outcome, and it's just like you know, the coin landed wrong. So backing up, you grew
0: up in Memphis. I did. Your dad was a financial advisor? Financial planner, yeah. Financial planner. Can can you take me to the story arc of uh, a kid from Memphis, Stanford, Opsware, like how how did that whole path happen? So
1: out of my junior year in high school, I left my junior year in high school and went to USC, University of Southern California. Um, they had this program to take juniors out of high school and kind of combine your senior year in high school and your freshman year in college, so to speak. So I did that for a year. Um, and then I, I, had, uh, I had driven down Palm Drive at Stanford, and um, obviously I was like into math, and computer science, and whatever, and so it was, uh, I knew Stanford from that, but driving down Palm Drive, I remember distinctly, I like, I wanna go here. So I only applied to transfer to one place, and applied to transfer to Stanford, and transferred. Coming out, I actually like didn't, I you know I studied mathematical and computational science and human biology. Like I wasn't a, uh, I didn't know anything about business. Like I didn't study anything about business, um, and so I actually took a tech M and A banking job um, out of school at at uh, Broadview, um, and. Uh, it's funny because you think you're going to learn about business and banking, but you're you're obviously learning about banking, not yeah, business. Yeah. And so I, I did that for six months. It was actually an incredibly valuable experience because uh, you learned how to model, you learned basic accounting, you learned like a whole bunch of stuff in six months that you know it's like years worth of stuff. And uh, this is 1999.
0: Um, and you're you're you graduated early.
1: I graduated early. Were you 19 yeah. at the time. Yeah, I was 19. I was 19 when I graduated, and then I turned 20. Whatever that's. summer. Yeah. So. Um, and you're like, it's harder to describe because that time, to some extent, maybe this AI craze right now is similar to what it was like here in 99, because, yeah. you know, in the Bay Area, and it was just like, everything's happening. And 101 was jam packed traffic, like nonstop, and, and there was tech companies everywhere. And so I was like, I got to get in fight, like, I got to get in there. Um, and, uh, you know, there was this new company, Loud Cloud, uh, started by uh, Mark Andreessen, and Ben Horowitz and um, and Tim Howes and Insect and they uh, th- it was still in stealth um, and my cousin was friends with uh, a marketing guy there and uh, you know whatever submitted my resume they were Ben was looking for an assistant um, and so I got an interview with Ben and Mark to be uh, assistant to the CEO hmm. and. Um, and we hit it off and they hired me and I joined LoudCloud as Ben's assistant. How big was the
0: company at the time?
1: 50, 60, so 50 or 60, it was growing really fast. It was like three months old.
0: Did yeah. you know, like, did you have other options uh, that you were gonna go or were you sort of single-threaded during this one?
1: Yeah. Single-threaded, actually USC, single-threaded Stanford, single-threaded hmm. to, to, to LoudCloud. Um, and then, you know, it was always meant to be like a kind of training position. I worked with Ben on a bunch of cool stuff. Um, and got exposure you know i'm 20 and i got exposure to, to them i got exposure to all of the company running fundraising like lots of different pieces uh and then became a product manager product marketing ran product management ran product marketing um and then ultimately ran most of marketing over eight and a half years lab cloud we went public, became opsware got bought by hp um so it was a long journey
0: it got bought by HP in 2008, 7? 7, seven two, uh, yeah, 2007. Oh. What, yeah. what What? was the unique, uh, the business pivoted, it was worth X, then totally. fell down. I mean, people can read hard things about hard things. You a good job documenting yeah. it. But what was unique about the culture or the group of people? Grit. Or, yeah. Just Did that come from Ben? Fucking
1: grit, yeah. Hmm. Just like, Chewing glass. Determination, chew last. keep moving, hmm. keep pounding out. some very loyal team, um, and grindy, like willing to just keep going. Hmm. Um, and I think that, I think it made a big difference.
0: Do you think you're going to be a founder after that? Yes,
1: absolutely. I wanted to be, I always like, I wanted to be a CEO actually. And I think, and, um, and I didn't want to just be a CEO. I wanted to be a great CEO. Uh, which I obviously fell short of. But i that was my aspiration. And so my m- mental model the whole time was like learn as much as I can, see as much of the business as I can, um, so that when it is my shot, I have a shot.
0: Rockville had, we talked about, big run and then center of the plateau and then ultimately sold to Yahoo. Yeah. Right. Did you think after that journey about running it back or going to be a, CEO somewhere else? That's a
1: great question. I, to be honest, I was tired. Yeah. I, like I didn't have the energy to found another company. Um, I definitely bore the, like, I failed, um, piece. Um, and so I just didn't, I just, I felt like I failed and, and I didn't have energy. We had, uh, my wife and I had twins, like baby twins. And so I was just destroyed um, at that point in time. So I was like, and I did not like being a big company junior executive at all. Hmm. So I didn't like that, I did, so I didn't know what I was going to do. It was a little crisis of confidence, to be honest with you. Um, but a few years earlier, in 2008, before before founded Rockmelt, um, you know, someone had planted, actually Jim Geth, planted this like seed in my head that I should be a venture capitalist. And um, And so in 2013, when Rockmill got bought by Yahoo, uh, Bill and Peter had emailed me and were like, Hey, you know, chat and, uh, You never, you didn't have any money from Benchmark? Did not have any money from Benchmark. Through the course of the next year, um, I spent a bunch of time with the Benchmark team and also spent, uh, a lot of time with early stage companies and really liked it. Yeah. Like I just spent time with early stage companies trying to be helpful and, um, and evaluate. And I I really liked it. It's fun. Yeah. And so yeah. So then I was like, hey,
0: I think this could be cool. I asked uh, both Spencer and Mike for questions, and they both wondered why you aren't a CEO. Uh, like they both that was both <laughs> of their independent questions. They uh, they're like, I think you should be a CEO. And I was like, oh, that seems like he's happy doing what he's doing. Never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> they they both asked the same question. Uh, what drew you? I mean, there's there's uh, your former boss also started a, a firm as well. Uh, that you had raised money from Andrew said Horowitz too. Uh, uh, what was the thing that drew you to benchmarks?
1: Um, I like I think the model fits my personality very well. I think it's quiet, um, and we kind of do what we do. Um, it, it's a we operate at a certain scale, and and um, and you're just like striving for absolute excellence in that individual craft. I think the appeal of not managing anyone at that point in time and not like running to just like, this is my job. I'm like, I'm an individual contributor. Yeah. And uh, it's just like, was like incredibly appealing. Um, you know, like it, the industry has done amazingly well. They've been really successful. At that point in time, their model was like very successful CEOs were the, the people that they're recruiting which I was not one, um, so and we, we've honestly never talked about it. We never have talked about me joining them.
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, I read it, something, I don't know where I dug this up from, that uh, you find most management advice worthless, but there were a few things that out from your time at RockMelt. Oh, gosh. I want to ask oh, you about gosh. each one. Start building your management team now and don't stop. Yeah. Was that something that you wished you had done or that you did? I wish
1: well? I stretched more mm. at different points in time. Because it never ends, and um, in, in companies, and like if you think about where we spend our time, you know, with founders, so much of it's around building the team around them, the management team around. Yeah. Um So I think that that part, like, is really
0: it matters a ton. Get really clear on what you need and what you don't need in a role. Hire for world class strength on the most important one through three areas. Yeah, I think
1: I, I think one of the big things that people. We, we have a tendency to grade at people like this person's great, this person's good, this person's not good, this person's like whatever. And, and I guess that just really hasn't been my experience. My experience hasn't been that um, black and white. My experience is that like oftentimes, there are people who are just bad, but for a lot of good people, um, they can be great if the conditions are right and they can be good or great at certain things and not and bad or okay or average at other things, and so I think one of the mistakes that CEOs make is, especially early on, because um, is not having enough fidelity on what they're looking for in the role. Like, what do they actually need out of that role in that job? And then testing candidates on that, on exactly what they need, and and then. Understanding kind of what that like skill matrix or whatever of that individual is and like what they're going to be great at, where they spiked, where they're average, where they maybe are below average, and so forth, and then putting that together. And so I think that's a, like a really important thing that um, that CEOs and founders have to learn. Like they have to learn how to, to kind of gradate that. And it's really hard because you have to learn it in areas that you're not an expert. Yeah.
0: Well, that that was the next one. Actually, find domain experts that help you hire.
1: Yeah, that's that was one of my big lessons. Is just like sometimes someone said this recently. Is just like, oh, they're way better than me. And it's like, well, you suck. So yeah, that, you know, especially thing.
0: when you're stepping outside of your competency as a CEO. 100%. Everyone should be better.
1: than Everyone should be better than you. Not a high bar. Yeah. So like, you gotta find people who help you evaluate. Um, in those in those places, yeah.
0: Uh, the last one was the best CEOs. Every person they add to their management team raises the bar. The new hires should be better at their domain than anyone else is at theirs. I guess yeah, sort of ties yeah. Into the same of points. Yeah. How do you think about bringing new people into Benchmark? Uh, you've now, I guess, since you've been there, Miles has come on board, Sarah, Chathan, and now Victor. Yeah. Um, how do you think about interject? It's so small, right? And every person. Back to the the points we were just talking about. Like every incremental person changes the DNA.
1: Did you ever teach, um, we we think of it as like a refounding moment, like it's an opportunity to refound the firm and rethink things. And um, you know, Bruce said this to me like really early on. I was like, "Wow, we have like really big shoes to fill," and it feels. And he was like, "I wouldn't think about that at all. It's your firm. Hmm. Like, don't worry about it. Be great." Um, and I, it, it was like so freeing to like hear that and 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 see that. Um, I, and. And for what it's worth, it definitely didn't work in the sense that I wake up every morning with paranoid. this like yeah paranoid and and like and thinking about like I you know you don't want to be the beginning of the end you totally. want to be like you want to have taken
0: it to new heights. But you have to be willing to burn it down. Absolutely to get to where you're going. Totally, totally. you have to. And it's a lot easier if you're the founder of the firm to have that confidence. It's like well, it came from nothing. I could bring it back to nothing. Well, yes, yeah. the dust ash, ash, you know, when it's when you're inheriting, I feel the same thing. When you're inheriting something that someone else started, you feel like a gravitas. You feel like John Scully totally. Kind of, yeah. Yeah.
1: You feel that responsibility. And and um and I think that's why we think of it as a refounding moment, right? Because it's like every new partner is refounding the firm. And like in and when they're refounding it, they have that freedom. They have the freedom to go do that. And I think it's really important. Um and it's and the the, the founders of Benchmark are very very thoughtful about building it that way. You know, we I mean—the the answer is we spend a lot of time with everybody, and and we spend a lot of time with the, the people, and so that we kind of know what it's going to feel like um, when they come in, and um, and we spend time as individuals, like one-on-ones, and we do two-on-ones, we do four ones. That's why the process takes forever. Um, like like I said, I I my process took a, like almost a full year. Hmm.
0: Um, and How long was? I mean, Vicker, I guess, is different. He was a portfolio company. He portfolio
1: company. you knew him. Like, but like, they were all like long, yeah. longish, and you're you're spending a lot of time with them. Um, and so that's part of why it has been helpful with, you know, Miles and Chathin, um as examples where we had overlapping boards. So you got to see them over the course of years yeah. working, um, and that that's part of why that ended up being so
0: so fruitful. Do you think about? I mean, there's obviously different domains or industries that you probably need to. Oh, do we have someone that can do internet or consumer or whatever it is? Right. Is what do you think about the augmentation of, Hey, we really need someone that's cynical, uh, about X, Y, Z thing, or bill was really our public markets sort of thinking through business model thing. And so we, we need someone to slide into that, or is it?
1: No, not really. I, it's, it's not a, it's not a role team. Like it's not a, we don't have roles. Um, you know, it's it's much more fluid than that. I, I would say um, you're kind of you're looking for excellence, yeah, and you're looking for the possibility of excellence, and you're looking for someone who's going to make it their life's work to be an excellent venture capitalist, and and who's going to raise the bar for all of us, and um, and that can come in a lot of different forms. Like, of course, are you sensitive to like sector coverage or are you sector, you know, uh, sensitive to Experienced investor versus you know an entrepreneur like Victor or, or or whatever like sure but like but those are all like second and third order things yeah. um, and and I think you I think we tend to justify those things like after the fact yeah, yeah. The, the real thing is like excellence.
0: There's a funny thing that I've thought about recently where you mentioned the life's work thing, which has made me think of it. Is if if I. Don't succeed as a venture capitalist. Like that's sort of what my identity, my professional identity is tied to. I can't go do anything else. Like I, I don't know. I'm, I'm my last time I did real finance was 11 years ago. Maybe I could go do that. I don't know. But like, I need to succeed in this for my own fulfillment. And I've thought about like people that are successful CEOs that then step into being a VC, and their identities probably pretty comfortable with their first act of being a successful CEO. And so that that yearning of like life's work and the desire to not mess something up, there's something to that pressure, I think, that I'm sure you feel yeah, as like, every I know day. self-proclaimed failed entrepreneur, but like, I'm sure you feel this chip on your shoulder every desire day. to prove that out. That, every day.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And look, everyone's different. Like people motiv- are motivated by different things. And, um, you know, aspiration of greatness versus fear of failure and like all of these other things. And uh, it, it, like lots of different things can work. Um, there are people who like, you, you think about these CEOs who, who go from like, who do it over and over again. And it's just like, it's made, or the entrepreneurs who do it over and over again. It's amazing. Um, and, and I stand in awe of them. Um, but yeah, I think there is an element of the pressure and the responsibility that's really valuable. Because it's one of these, Jobs where it's a little bit like getting into a Stanford or or something like that, which is like getting in is really hard. And if you want to be like a B plus student, not hard. Hmm. Yeah, like once you're there, getting in really hard. B plus not hard. A, A plus fucking hard. Yeah, and um, and so you're in this place where. And venture capital is like that. Getting into venture capital and getting is like it's really hard. Um, If you want to be a mediocre venture capitalist,
0: not hard, no. And and you can do very little, like very little work. Feedback loops are very long. It's hard to know how hard you're working. taking the incremental meeting, like you know, whatever. whatever. I'm on vacation. Yeah, and so like it's easy. It can be
1: easy to coast, but being great and finding people and working with people who want to be great, like truly great, um, that's really hard hmm. and it takes everything. And, um, and I think the greats in the industry have been
0: that. Do you think we're getting long in the tooth in software investing? In, in what sense? Do you think the trends that you and I both benefited from, from 2014, even we could go back to 2007, if we really, or whatever, 2099 Salesforce. Do you think uh, those are getting long in the tooth in terms of, hey, we saw um, vertical software. We're, we're we're going to smaller and smaller markets. It's no longer construction or healthcare or whatever. We're seeing niche more niche markets popping up, or some of the things that we discuss are just similar ish to the things we talked about 10 years ago like open source business models seem figured out a little bit more by the sure, right? sure, like, sure. so are we at some like asymptote where it's the seventh or eighth inning of that i mean sure like uh, you know every every kind of thesis has its
1: has its duration but the, this is the this is the best thing about the market the industry that we work in is like there's a new thesis yeah and so like there's always something new right and um and, and and so, like, yeah, I think for, like, SaaS or enterprise SaaS or whatever, like, yeah, it's kind of like, but now we have a new, like, AI thing, and we have some of the same questions that we had before, which is, like, how is it going to monetize, and where's the value getting delivered, and, like, how big is it going to be, and is it really impactful, is it not really impactful, and, and so on and so forth. And so, like, I, I guess I feel like there's always something new, and it's just one of the amazing things about the industry that we work in, and people are always coming up with new ideas and they're just optimistic about it. And, um, and so I actually am really bullish and optimistic.
0: How has investing in early stage changed, uh, over time? You know, it's always, it's, it's like, it's more expensive
1: and there's more competition and, and there's more seed rounds and, um, and there's more people willing to write these checks and like all those things. Like, Okay,
0: sure. Like all that stuff's changed. People have been bitching about that for the last ten years too, or or forty. Forty. Well, yeah. ten, ten since I've been in. You know, yeah, I, right, I, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's just like everywhere, sure. like always, yeah.
1: right? Like it's just like it's just like sure, like great. Um. On On the other hand, like, you know, look this magical like alchemy of a founder who like knows some market and has a compelling idea and a unique insight and the drive and ambition to go do something that on its surface is is irrational like that's what we're looking for yeah and and like has that changed not really like you know people keep coming up with stuff and um and and they are excited about it and and they want to they want to make it their life's work and it's important and and so i think in some ways look at that that really hasn't changed Mm -hmm. and and like and in the end, the vehicle that is is used is a company and they need help building the company and like, and building a company is hard. Um, and so like, I think none of that stuff has changed.
0: Do you have the element of FOMO of things that are going on that I'm sure you guys have pretty good fidelity into seeing early stage opportunities, but inevitably right. there's only what, five of you now? Six Six of, us. Six of you uh, you don't have a team of associates. Uh, you don't need, you don't have a CRM as we've, have yeah. joked about in the past, but, uh, uh, do you have a paranoid element of like, Hey, there's a whole team of that uh, Andreessen or Sequoia. All the time. Yeah. All the time.
1: I mean, I, like, you know, what's the downside of our model is like, is it doesn't scale, uh, coverage really hard. Um, seeing everything is really, really difficult. Um, and, you know, it's, it's six people, but six people who probably average, I don't know, eight boards yeah. each. So it's like, it's eight boards too. And you're trying to be, you know, if, we, if we're doing our job, we're setting the standard for what the board member engagement is. And so like, um, yeah, the coverage thing is hard. It's a challenge of the model, you know, but there's some advantages to it too, which is, it makes you very focused on what are the important questions for evaluating every opportunity. Like there's so much stuff that Venture capitalists ask, investors ask, and it's just, it's just a waste of time. Like, It just doesn't matter in terms of the outcome um, and what could be. Like, and so it you have to get really focused on that.
0: How do you view your role as a board member? Talked about like earning the first call or like that relationship, but. The thing
1: is doing everything you can to help the company succeed. And what I mean by succeed is realize its maximal potential. Not every company's maximal potential is the same. And we don't know. That's indeterminate at the beginning. But whatever its potential is, let's maximize that. Let's maximize that, that potential of that, of that company. And that's super high level and like whatever. So what does it mean in practice? Well, like, you know, sometimes it, it, it means um, like helping lift the entrepreneur up when they're down. Sometimes it means bringing the entrepreneur down when they're too high. Sometimes it means, um, you know, sometimes it means like asking a hard question. Sometimes it means being supportive through a tough time. Like it, it can mean all of those different things. And, you know, the job and the emotions and the heart rate of an entrepreneur are like, like this, like it's just, it's manic. And so Um, And most people just aren't super productive, like they can't think as clearly through those very highs and very lows. And so to the extent we can help like mediate that, then you're helping the entrepreneur think clearer through that process and ultimately maximize their potential. I think the, you know, the downside case is the board members who amplify <laughs> that, uh, and we've all worked with them, uh, who amplify that that manicness. So you wanna be really careful not to be that. Um, but the form of, of it's interesting, it's like the form of uh, support that you offer is really varied through time. Like sometimes it's strategic, sometimes it's very tactical, sometimes it's emotional. Um, you know, it's,
0: it's all of it. I heard you say uh, the value of a partnership with an entrepreneur is, only two to three times a year helping with the consequential decisions, which is something I, I agree with. You need to earn the right to have the credibility to help at that point in time, which is a daily task.
1: Yeah, that, that's exactly right. That's the part that gets lost in it. It's actually, there's another one of these that we can come back to, which is a power law thing with venture capital, which is like, it's people looking at the data. So it's like, yes, the two or three times a year, there's some inflection directional bending opportunity for a company like it's not you know it's not every day it's not every week it's whatever it's some handful of times and if you can be an amazing sounding board for the entrepreneur in that moment to help them make a better decision that maximizes the probability of success and bends the trajectory of the company that's everything like all the value comes from that problem is in order to be valuable in those two or three things you have to both have enough context on the company, and enough space outside the company to be useful, right? Like th- these entrepreneurs we've talked about, they're hyper learners. Like everybody's learning, so they're consuming all the podcasts, they're consuming all the books, they're reading all the blog posts. Like they they have all of that stuff. The kind of things that they're ultimately grappling with are very close calls. That that reasonable people could disagree on. And so it's trying to be a sounding board in that moment. And to be a sounding board in that moment, you kind of have to understand to some extent, like what's the team they're working with? What's the nature of the business? Like, what are the customers saying? What are those people's motivations? And in order to do that, you have to do some day to day work. But if you're mired in that and you're in the trench, then you don't have the value of the perspective. Um, and so it's kind of, it's a fine balance of, of combination of perspective and knowledge of the detail that, um, I think allows you to be most useful and help navigate those moments. Um, but I think all the value comes from it. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting.
0: We've had discussions over the years at different points in times about, uh, constraints as benefits for companies. Uh, how do you, how do you think about that? i
1: you know i I think every time we've seen a company that get is unconstrained, whether it's like capital or headcount or or growth even or like whatever it it's just like on the one hand it can be really good, but it also yields a lot of badness right and um I just think constraints are good like i i've had it, they force uh clarity of thinking they force. Uh, hard decision making, they force these kind of calls. And so you have to know when you want to have kind of an abundance mentality and just like do everything and be fruitful and like go go forward. And when you want to be really like disciplined and controlled, most of the time you're in between, you know, and I think we've like learned a lot of hard ways and I, I guess maybe one other learning on this is it's so much harder to reform after the fact. Yeah like it's so much harder. It's so much easier to to kind of, you know, it's kind of the person who like, whatever, like packs on a lot of pounds and then has to like trim and and cut, right? Like build and, and cut. It's like, you wanna be on whatever, six week cycles for that. You don't wanna be on six year cycles
0: for that. There's a, I feel like we've talked about this before, but the two by two graph of equity value created by capital consumed, have uh, you seen that chart? Yeah. It's a fascinating one of just like it's both I think it's all software companies, basically, but it sort of shows that with the exception of Snowflake, almost every company that has created a ton of value in the last twenty years in software, which is a little bit of a fool specific thing, yeah, yeah, like sample bias thing, didn't consume a lot of capital to get there. If you look at Viva or ServiceNow or uh, Atlassian or Salesforce, oh, yeah. or You just kind of go down the list. It's sort of it's an interesting and, thing. And,
1: and, and 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 VMware would be in that category too. So like, it, but but it, I would say th- this is the problem with with some of these analyses, which is like
0: true,
1: but,
0: but capital wasn't available to yeah, them. Yeah,
1: well, and also like, was, was it, it? Are, are we kind of like? Is it, is it kind of? They've created a lot of equity value and done so very efficiently, but like. Those aren't unrelated concepts, right? Very much right. so, right? Like there is just like yes, because they were very efficient and grew very fast, they created a lot of equity value. Yeah. So it's kind
0: and of just, and the dollars that you were raising in 2004 uh, is different than the dollars you're raising in 2020. And a company that's very big was more likely to have been started in 2004, just because time is a vector of it. Definitely distorts. Yeah. So it, it's, but it's, it's an interesting. It's interesting when you look at, especially the outlier ones, like the Atlassians or the Vivas that like really didn't take in outside capital. And you know, if you take it,
1: if you look at um, Atlassian as an example, like it has grown very steadily between what, 30 and 50% for mm-hmm. 20 years. It's value compounding. Yeah. Like it's just like, and and so, um, you know, it's, it's a really amazing kind of story, but it actually didn't have these like 100%, 200% growths that we are you know, we often see yeah. um, in the early stages. So yeah, there, there's different dynamics on it. I, I kind of think of it, um, I, I, I mentioned this venture capital thing, which is, you know, you hear this is like, oh, venture capital is a grand slam business and it's like all about these. and like It's like, yes, it is. But I think one of the things that's really interesting is if you look at all the greats in the business, they're remarkably consistent remarkably consistent Yeah, and they have lots of little wins in addition to a few big wins and and I think it just again it's kind of like a dumb thing to say because it's like well it turns out if you like make contact with the ball a lot it's the best way to hit home runs it's the best way to hit home runs and you know and so it's kind of like this other thing but I think that type of retroactive analysis actually yields bad behavior because it it um, it kind of like says like, Oh, wow. Like all that matters is getting these like really, really big ones. Um, which is like, like yes, true. But like, what's the best way to get the really
0: big ones? Yeah. 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 Um, about incentives. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I consider myself top 1% of understanding incentives and I underestimate it every day. Why, why, why do you like that quote? I think that, uh, founders don't think about it enough.
1: Um, as it relates to um, both for their customers, but also their team, and how they think about their team and what their team incentives are and how to manage it. And the reason is is you tend to project yourself and think everyone works like things like you and has your mental model and your piece. And it just it isn't that isn't true. Like they don't. Most of the employees are employees are not. Uh, they're not founders. They don't have the same everything. They don't have the same desire. They don't have the same ambition. Um, and or they're motivated by different things and so you just like really have to kind of think about that and then how to incentivize the behavior that you want um,
0: on it and it is it's just matters get peppered with questions like Career advice or people that are asking, do you have anything that you go back to or that know, people trying to get break into venture or whatever wh- whatever version of this question you think is is you know, interesting I think, I
1: think there's no model of success I think that, that that's there's no one model of success like you look at Moritz and he was a writer, and like what do writers do they ask questions and um, you know you you look at Dor and he's a career venture capitalist but Intel sales guy or whatever and, yeah. And, so, yeah, and he was a salesperson. Like, Peter yeah. was the son of a B.C. Right. Uh, yeah, and and, Bill, was, and Bill it, was, it, was a Wall Street yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so like there are lots of models of success um, on it, but I think there is a common characteristic amongst there are a couple common characteristics amongst uh, the venture capitalists, which is they're hyper curious and they're hyper competitive, um, competitive with themselves, competitive with the industry, whatever doesn't really matter, but competitive driven and um, and hyper curious, and so you know, it's kind of like you're always like looking over, you're turning over, you're kicking over the next rock, and you're trying to figure out what's going on and trying to understand it and trying to listen to it or what motivates that person. You're trying to figure that out. Why are all these great people going to this company? You got to figure that out. Like you, just, you can't, it bothers you that there's something that you don't have a explanation for, mm-hmm. um, a view of. And so I think that's a common characteristic amongst, um, amongst the people who have been really, really successful in the business. And um, And so maybe that's a view of of what it is. Um, But, and I think, I I wouldn't, I I think it's popular to say like, it's an easy job or whatever. I have not found that to be true. I've not found that it's an easy job. It can be. Um, Yeah, I think it can be, but I just, I I think, but I've just not in general, I I found it to be a very, like it is a all out challenging, you know, you're running every day kind of job.
0: Yeah. It's humbling too.
1: Yeah, it's super humbling, and it's full of regrets and and everything else. Um, so it, it's not it's not easy in that way. It's an extraordinarily rewarding job yeah. in the sense that you're just you get to meet these entrepreneurs every day mm-hmm. who inspire and excite and are building new stuff and trying new things and are rethinking fundamentals and reasoning from first principles and whatever. And so you're just like, that part of it's just awesome. And it's just perpetually learning. Um, so I think it's very, very rewarding in that way. But to reap the benefits of that, to reap the benefits of that, you, of that, you, you it takes a lot of work.
0: Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting that you had said was um, about, and I think it's reflective of, I mean, you're kind of talking your own book here, but a platform team being built and junior team being built to help the GP scale more yeah. than helping the companies themselves how, how do you think about that and are there elements of the VC's job that you think can be well carved off and where you don't need to own the totality of the the role I mean I think I, I just think the the idea
1: of platform teams is to help the firm scale yeah and um you do that in order to help the firm scale and so the GPS can scale and they can take more board seats and they can or not take more portfolio seats, but make more investments yeah. and 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 so forth. Um, and that doesn't mean there's no value in that. There's value in that, um, and those models work great. Um, like and and um, and they've had a ton of success. And so I think that that part's there. Our model is is different, and um, our model is dependent on a relationship, a very tight relationship between the investor and entrepreneur and um it's a partnership and that model and we talked about incentives and incentives it means you know it means high ownership it means like these things it means high commitment and high skin in the game and so um that's the model that like i think more than anything it's the model we like like that's the rewarding part of the job and that's the part that that we love um and so the, the, i just that's how I think about it. it's going be different than than prior framing but it, yeah. it's just the rewarding part of the job is that engagement and that's what we're dependent on
0: yeah there's kind of the predictable revenue-ish side of of things that uh if I think about where we get benefit from having people that help talent customer sure. intros sure. as well and having someone that wakes up every day with that as their number one job. Sure. That everyone sort of funnels stuff through. There's like an accumulation of knowledge that and maybe it's maybe your response would be, well, we get that from, you know, the integration of our partnership or something. And uh but I've sort of found that having one person that wakes up with it number one on their list rather than it matters. Yeah. It matters. It matters. Yeah. yeah. Like like no question it matters. but I think my my
1: thoughts would actually more go back to the two or three times a year.
0: Yeah if all, all you the content that yeah
1: you need to have the context. It's interesting. And so that's that, that would be my <laughs> like my view of it yeah it isn't that you know it, it isn't incrementally valuable. It's just is it um, trajectory bending and trajectory bending is kind of the name of the game and to some degree or to a large degree.
0: In my view, people have sort of become uh, fascinated. I think with your dinners, and you guys did the one with the acquired guys, and um, on oh, Invest Like the Best. Uh, I think Peter referenced one with Jeff Bezos. You guys did recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, what What do you find the biggest benefit from the that dinners to be? They're they're so fun. I, I mean, we get to do. Do you do them here? We do. We do them
1: in Woodside and and, and in San Francisco. We we'll also travel for them. Uh, we travel. We went to New York for for one recently, uh, with a CEO of a, you know, whatever, public, I don't know, 10 billion dollar company, um, that just, that we didn't invest in and didn't know, but just remarkable story and individual. And like, you learn, like, what did we miss? What did we get wrong? What didn't we think about at that point in time? Um, what motivates them and, and how are they driving? There's, there's so many things to learn. We, we did another one with the CEO of a, $80 Eighty billion dollar public company um, recently, and you know, and he talked about uh, like how this is a non-founder CEO, and it's just like how he expanded the product portfolio, and like how he drove that, and and whatever. And so, everyone is just an opportunity to to learn more, um, and um, and obviously, like build connections and network, just like you're talking about yeah. through your podcast. Um, but everyone's just an opportunity to learn more, and uh, and and that that part's really really cool.
0: Do you outbound to uh, these people? Yeah,
1: we outbound all the time. And what's what's the
0: pitch? Uh, just like, hey, we'll come and pick your brain and have, have, yeah. have great wine. We'll pay for your dinner, Some nice food. Yeah, we'll talk about what we're
1: seeing and in the markets yeah, and pepper and you and with just questions just have, and and just have fun. Yeah. Um, and and we have a pretty high hit rate on it. And it's like, it's a good...
0: Listen, if people are saying yes to this podcast for me, I assume they're saying yes to yes, dinner with you, yes, right? Yes. So. It's like, and,
1: and, um, and, and so, like, and that, that part of it's really special. I would also say, like, it's good for our group. Like, it's good for the six of us to spend that time. The social like, dynamic. Yeah, the social dynamic. And just like that, we spend all Mondays together, and we spend our dinners together. And um, and just, like, having that um, esprit de corps is... is Is valuable too. Um, you get a lot of stories on that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a really special and fun part of the partnership. Yeah. This is fun.
0: Thanks for doing it.
1: Yeah. Thank you.